When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 836. Uh, if you're going to be in Boston or the surrounding area or anywhere on the East Coast, uh, I'm going to be performing at the Wilbur Theater on Friday, November 4th. There are uh, two shows. It's, I think it's like 7.30 and 10. I probably should have checked before I started flapping my gums. But uh, yeah, there's an early show and there's a late show. And I think the early show is close to sold out. And I think... The Late Show still has a handful of tickets left, so if you go to id10t.com, id10t.com, uh, you can get tickets for that. I'm bringing Mike Furman. He's going he's gonna to do a set. I, we, we're going to probably do some songs together, so come on out to Boston. I love the Wilbur Theater, and, uh, and I look forward to seeing you there. Friday, November 4th, uh, here's some stuff from you, the Nerdist community in the corkboard. Michael, Michael Bailiff writes... Uh, could be Balif. I see two L's. I'm going to go short A, two L's, Michael Balif. I'm going to go Mikhail Balif. I'm going to fuck up the first name so that it takes some emphasis off the fact that I probably fucked up the second name. Anyway, he writes, I'd like to promote and share my Halloween-themed horror web anthology, The Witching Season. The series is inspired by classic anthologies such as Tales from the Crypt, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Each episode is set during Halloween season. There's no better time to watch a series and get into the Halloween spirit. Uh, plus, I think Chris will totally dig it. You might be totally rife, Mickle Balif. Uh, we have released three episodes so far, which can be seen for free at youtube.com slash witchingseasonfilms. Or just go to witchingseasonfilms.com. Well done, Michael. Uh, the most horrifying part so far is how I probably butchered your name. <laughs> like your name went to a campsite and had sex with a, another horny teen and then got butchered by the my inability to do diligence. To do due diligence and say sentences. Uh, but you seem nice, Michael. My name is Heather... And I was hoping to submit my YouTube channel for a post on the Nerdist Community Corkboard. Well, mission accomplished. I've been a big fan of the podcast for many years. I love you guys out of the corkboard. Okay, great. Last year, I finally started to make that thing that I love. Yes, good for you, Heather. Good, good, good. I started my YouTube channel, Diving Head First, which is uh, youtube.com slash diving head first DIY, where Heather posts DIY projects for crafty geeks. Uh, mostly whatever projects pop into her head. And since she is, she says, since I am a geek, I have a tendency to lean lean that way. So I thought they might be of interest to the fans of the podcast. Fantastic! Go check out uh, Heather's channel, Diving Head First DIY, uh, and well done, Heather, for making a thing. 
It sometimes can be just that simple than just making a decision that day. Today is the day I am no longer waiting. I'm going to make this thing that's been noodling around the back of my head, even if I only get one one-hundredth of the way down the road, at least starting the process is the most important thing. If you do that, you will be ahead of most of the people in the world who always have some excuse or other. Now, there are some really good excuses, but most excuses are not good uh, that keep you from doing stuff. They're just things you put in place to protect yourself for whatever emotional reason, but goddammit, just make your damn thing. Uh, All right, I'm done lecturing and screaming at you. This episode is Rob Zombie, uh, one of my oldest friends. And I don't mean like like he's. I have friends who are older in terms of their age, but Rob and I have been friends for an incredibly long time. This is his third appearance on the podcast. He's promoting thirty one, which is a rad, fucked up. Uh, I mean, it's sort of a horror movie. It's just a. It's a great carve em up slasher. You should just watch it. It's on VOD now. It will be in theaters. Uh, you can find more info at robzombie.com. But uh, but I adore this man. He's Rob's kind of like my older brother. So it's when we actually get to sit down and catch up, which is really what this this was really. Rob came over to my house, and this really was just us catching up for an hour and change. So uh, here you go. This episode. Uh, here we go. Rob Zombie. Katie. Roll the thing. It's my shaking change. I just. That's my shaking chains. I just knocked quarters all over the floor. All right. Now entering nerdist.com. Well, I guess I would probably just continue talking about that, just about, about the idea that uh, television shows and films are just becoming closer and closer and closer and closer. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the future of the idea of going to a movie theater. Because a movie really has to feel extra special to get me out of my house and not go, eh, I'll just, uh, yeah, it'll be out on VOD in no time. Yeah, I mean, I, I never thought there would come a time where I would not want to go to the movies. <laughs> and now I never want to go to the movies. <laughs> like, I almost, like, avoid it as much as possible. Because, you know, it's, you know, I mean, once your average TV is that. Right. And, you know, and I, you know, if you're lucky. And even The average person has a monstrous TV. Yeah. And most of the time I go to the movies and they're like, my screen at home is bigger than this movie theater screen. Why am I sitting here? Yeah, if, with, if you, know, you know, in the in in the thirties and the forties, and when no one even had TVs, like what an insane experience. And then oh, yeah. even fifties through the let's even say through the nineties, you know, like big screen TVs in the nineties were okay, but they the, looked like crap. Yeah, the, <laughs> those giant remember those giant CRT. It's like where the tube was so fucking big and this. Yeah, I remember standing staring at. My, I had one of those and looking at like. Does it look weird? Because the way the sun's hitting the screen, I can't see anything. <laughs> it's a little, yeah, TV. it's all washed out. Yeah, it's and even, even screen, like you'd go to, you know, people, if, if someone in your neighborhood's like, oh, their parents had money and they have like a fucking screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It still didn't look great. It was like, oh, it's, you know. Yeah, now you like, look at your phone and you're like, this looks better than the arc light. <laughs> I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything's changed. Even video, you know, even video games in the sense that, um, 
Nintendo just announced this thing called this system called Switch, which basically is like this thing that everyone's been waiting for, which is it's a console that connects to you get the same game. You can, can you can take your game from your TV on. Around. I just heard a whole radio show on this in the car on the drive over talking about that. Oh, about the switch. Yeah, whether or not they can switch certain games over, it's going to be too expensive for that new system. That's the Nintendo, and that that'll be the thing. thing. Like it, yeah. in in concept, it seems amazing, and people are rightfully very excited by the prospect of it. But it a lot of it depends on what the titles are going to be, and if it's games that. You've never heard of it. Might be oh, okay. Well, like maybe I could get on board with that. But I think what people really want is like I want to take GTA Five with me, the same game wherever I or whatever yeah. it is. That what people want is everything to be perfect all the time, all the time, at any given second. But you know, <laughs> we've but we've been conditioned, you know, because we are we're essentially addicted to the there, there's almost like an like an addiction, like an alcoholism of. Um, that that endorphin spike that you get when something new comes out that you can distract yourself with it's like you know technology the demand is that technology everyone thinks oh every smartphone every computer every game system should be entirely brand new every year and have yeah. a ton of new features or fuck you and it's like <laughs> exactly. how is that I mean, no wonder people release stuff that is technically should still be in beta that's full of bugs that they have to sort out as people are widely adopting it because the demand is, you know, p- consumers get so fucking bent out of shape when they don't have a brand new thing every six months. I know. And it's like someone was asking me, are you going to get the new iPhone? I'm like, I just took this one out of the box <laughs> six months ago. <laughs> you know? Well, no, I'm not going to get a new one. I, don't, I would never have gotten a new anything. I did get the new one on there. I mean, I'm trying to go backwards. <laughs> like, I swear, because it's like, I feel like I get more out of things when it's, I have to do more myself. Yes, yes, that's true. You know, which sounds so lame, and everyone listening to this podcast already turned it off. No, I don't think I so. That. But I really do. I find that, like, when I listen, this sounds so lame, but when I listen to vinyl... I focus on it more because I had to actually get up, put the record on. There's more of a time invest. There's more of an energy over. investment. I actually kind of am doing something, but when I just like, oh, why don't I just hit play and let the iPod play 9,000 songs that I'm not listening There's to not, anymore. That, you are, that is not lame at all. It's the same way that we take 35,000 pictures and then they don't really mean anything anymore because they don't have to because you know storage is you know ostensibly limitless so you could you yeah. could take a thousand pictures and like oh i'll just take this one you know or and you and you know that that and the uh, memory of your life is contained in the one picture you had like you know <laughs> you go back and you're like you'll tell a story like i remember when i was first grade i wore this bad uh, pantsuit to school yeah because that's the one picture i have from first grade <laughs> everything else is forgotten and now you know like every kid i always wonder how messed up these kids will be we're like you're in first grade and there's a hundred thousand photos of you doing everything or recorded doing everything. Imagine how embarrassing it would be if you could hear your voice talking through your entire life, singing happy birthday. Yeah. Every, I think it's like, I'd want to kill myself. It's only more, it's, it's special when there are only tiny little slivers of it, but th- this investment idea is the only reason I can keep going is because I can't remember what an idiot I was back then. <laughs> the memory's fading. I don't want all that evidence. Well, if, if someone, uh, you know, there's a, there's a thing in in comedy where, you know, if no one knows who you are, you'll go perform at a comedy club, and then the most of the time, and, and when you're starting out, it, the room is what they call it's papered. So in other yeah. words, people got free tickets, yeah. And the comedy clubs give free tickets to people because ultimately, a comedy club is really just a way to distract people to order food and drinks. 
I mean, that's their business model. Yeah, it's like and casinos. So, yeah, exactly. And so people come to a free comedy show, but they have to pay for drinks. That's why there's two drink men when they pay for food. And when the crowd doesn't have to pay for tickets, a lot of you know, a lot of times they're not as invested in the show because they didn't really, you know. But when someone actually has to to put down money for something. There's more at stake for them, so they they're more invested. They they pay more attention. Totally. It's the same thing with it's the same thing with time and energy. You're absolutely right. When you, you know, a a, a record boy, we're really old. When uh, <laughs> when when you had to go to a record shop and go, oh, you don't have this in. Can you order this? And you'd wait uh, several weeks, and then it would come in, and you'd go home and unpackage it and smell the vinyl and put it on the thing. Like totally. it was so much more special. There are records and movies I love so much, and I don't even know if they're any good at all. It's just that I <laughs> the spent experience. the money. Yeah, like to be. I don't know. You know, I'd, I'd buy a record, and I'd go like. I don't even know if I like this, but I own it, so I'm going to listen to it a million times, and now I love it. But it might be a terrible record. Well, that brings up an interesting question: <laughs> is is you know what's more interesting, the product or the experience? You know, like the product could be good, but if the experience is bad, it doesn't matter. And if the experience is amazing and the product, you know, like you like you just said, I don't know if those things are good, but the experience was so great. Is that more important? Yeah, I think sometimes it is. I mean, I think that. I've been finding now that as long as it's old, everybody likes it <laughs> because it doesn't matter what, like uh, you know, this morning I was watching a $25,000 pyramid, you know, with Dick Clark and, I'm, and you're like, Oh my God, why don't they make stuff like this anymore? Which then was considered the most disposable crap you could possibly <laughs> make. Really and now I'm watching it like it's, you know, citizen Kane or something, but it's, I just think once it gets old because the person, it's so generic at the time. Yeah. But once it's old, people are like, Wow. Citizen Kane was a <laughs> shitty movie made by a hack director, and now we all act hatcheting like we a guy who didn't do anything wrong to anybody. It's got some stupid sled. <laughs> but I, I honestly was—I was walking by uh, Skylight Books this morning, and they had um, there were some graphic novels, like collectible graphic novels, in the window, and I was thinking, what will? Is there anything left to collect from today? Because Everyone makes things with like before people didn't really make stuff with the idea of like, oh, you better collect this. That was just a mm-hmm. thing some people did. So there are some collectible things. But now you everyone has the idea of like, well, you collect everything. So I feel like, well, but there's there's too much of everything now. So how is any of that? Like, what is the collectible comic book now? What are the things to collect? I don't think anything. I, I remember seeing that starting around um, really bad when Todd McFarlane sort of relaunched Spider-Man. Yeah. Which was like, what, I don't know, like 20 years ago or something? Yeah. At that time. And it was like the silver cover, the gold cover, the foil cover. And I'm like, these are all worthless. They printed 90 bazillion of these. The reason the other ones are worth something is because everyone thought they were shit. They threw them away. And somebody goes, oh, my God, my grandmother forgot to throw away Superman number one. Here it is. But, like, yeah, it's all junk. It's all <laughs> stuff to trick you into being psychotic that you've got to own everything. That's why I literally don't collect anything. You don't, don't collect want anything, anything. I don't have – I mean I have enough crap to keep me occupied for the rest of my life. I know. I, I do too. One day I just maxed out and I was like – I was like, wouldn't it be cool if all you had was like you were suddenly like you know kung fu and you're like picking up my backpack and I'm walking away. Yeah. Rather I, than bringing three semis to my house to try to move all this crap across country for the second time. I completely agree. And I say <laughs> this as someone who – because we're in my house right now. If you look around, you obviously see I collect a lot of stuff yeah. and Lydia collects a lot of stuff. I mean – I, I 
I just posted a thing on Instagram today. I bought six Ren and Stimpy cells. <laughs> and you can't even get cells anymore because no one has, yeah. you know, since the late 90s, people, it's just all computers. So they don't, they don't even sell yeah, anymore. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and, and I, and I kind of look around and I think, oh, this stuff is really nice. But I really honestly believe that if, you know, in a week or at some point someone was like, you know, we have to take all this away and put it away somewhere. I feel like, all right, you know, like it, I don't feel like my identity hinges on it. But I really I like lo- having it. I like looking at it. It's fun. To, yeah. It's I mean, the acquisition I, process. It's the experience. Yeah. And it's almost like I don't I, It's. I think I hit a wall when at one point I would open a tube and go. Oh my God, I own this poster. <laughs> when, and I spent a lot of money on it, and it's been sitting in a rolled up tube for 10 years. Yeah. Or I bought it again. Yeah. I'm like, what am I, mental? <laughs> like, I'm going to auctions, bidding on things I already bid on before that I own, and I don't even, that's when I knew you got too much stuff. Well, I think it's, you know, <laughs> I, think, I think biologically, we're not hunters, so it's sort of the only way we can hunt and gather. <laughs> yeah, we're over-gatherers. To, yeah, it's like, you know, instead of, instead of bringing home tiger meat, you know, to give everyone in the, in the cave. I'm sure all the history on that's wrong. Uh, the, uh, the, what we have is, you know, animation cells or movie props or sports collectibles or, you know, weird shoes or stamps or whatever it is. And that's, and, and, but then that goes right back to the point of it's all about experience. It's about the experience of finding and hunting and the adrenaline rush of the auction and all that stuff. But yeah. then when you get it, getting it is actually almost the least exciting part of the whole process. Well, yeah, because it used to be hard to get it. I remember when – this sounds like lame again, but now with eBay, getting – I can think of – like this is a good example. I was watching – I was flying on the plane, and they had that Nora Ephron documentary. So I had watched literally everything else on the plane. So, okay, I'm going to watch this. And they quickly showed – an Esquire cover from 1972 where she had an article, but I didn't care about that. But it was a picture of Groucho Marx, and it was about something about him at 81. I go, oh, my God, I got to get that Esquire. I wonder if I can track it down. Three seconds later, I was the high bidder on it for, at four bucks. I mean, that would have been something that you would spend forever trying to find. And, you know, this is going to flea markets and sifting. And what's going to happen crazy. is it's going to get mailed to my house. I'm going to forget why I even wanted it, and it's going to throw it in the pile with the, uh, you know, Tiny Tim fan club magazine I bought the week before that I can't remember why I had to have that one night at yeah. 3 a.m. I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what it is that we're chasing, but I'm sure it's just, you know, I think part of it is, I think part of it in a broader sense is that everything feels so batshit crazy in the world that we have this romanticized idea of our childhoods as being, but it was a simpler time. And honestly, if you were to go, if you were an adult when we were kids, I don't think you would feel like it's a simpler time. I think you would probably feel like, oh, shit. You know, like in the 80s, it's fucking cra- a crazy time to be an adult and oh, dealing yeah. with shit. Or the 70s, even crazier. I was watching that, like, CNN series on the 70s or something. I was like, wow. People think, like, it's the end of the world now. That looked like the end of the world. It looked like the apocalypse with, like, people waiting in line for gas and Nixon. Oh, yeah, yeah, waiting in I mean, line for gas. I mean, it could seem worse. Like, people, oh, the Manson family's everywhere. Everyone's done. It seemed like there was a serial killer every week. Yeah, and I mean, I, now it seems like, you know. I just saw, I saw a picture. I saw, you know, I was rifling through some clickbait. Look, these historical pictures you won't believe. And I, I didn't believe a lot of them, you guys. Yeah. But one <laughs> yeah. of them was uh, during the gas crisis in 19, the oil crisis in 1973, there was a group of people who the freeways were empty. Yeah. And so they were literally having a picnic on the middle of a freeway because there were no one was driving. And you at that point, I'm sure you would think, well, civilization is falling. Or 
a picture of everyone on a train reading about the JFK assassination, which is like the president gets assassinated. You, how could you not feel like, well, the world is ending now? I mean, yeah, that's I the mean, craziest thing. I can remember having to go down to the post office and, and register because, and then you were like in fear you were going to get drafted. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh crap! Now I'm 18. This sucks. I don't want to have to live in Canada, <laughs> but I guess I will. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, a, like you know. Now it, it's like it the biggest a... fear is like my iPod's not. No, not my iPod. That's too old. But you know, they I, made me take this U2 album on my iPhone. I'm like, I yeah. can't even. Fuck Bono. Well, you could. How just do I get it off? Remove. It's not the word. I mean, although it... that was creepy. That was really creepy. It's like but they I snuck into your house and the edge put a. You know, the record on your turntable while you're sleeping. I mean, it, what? <laughs> I don't want this. Entertainment, I've been saying entertainment has become sort of the new politics in a way, although that's taken a break because there are actual politics happening right now that are <laughs> fucking nuts. But as soon as all that goes away, people really will go back to things that they take for granted being the most important things in the world. It's like, oh, there's a fucking Game of Thrones. Oh, the fucking... Oh, I can't believe... You know, like, Twitter's been down all morning. There was some big DDoS attack, and, like, yeah. all these websites got taken down. And I'm sure there are people who are shitting their fucking pants because they can't get on. Or someone someone, <laughs> someone tweeted at us, because The Walking Dead premiere is coming back in a couple... At the time we're recording this, it's coming back in two days. And someone in England said... Could you please remind people not to talk about it on Twitter so it doesn't get spoiled for us because we get the show later? And I was like, I said to her, well, you don't have to go <laughs> on. Don't I mean, go on Twitter. Don't want, I mean, if I don't want something spoiled that's a, that's a big thing that everyone's going to be talking about, I just don't go on social media. I make the choice. It's like I think people assume like, oh, well, I got to do that. I mean, of course, I, that's a right. And you're like, no, it's a privilege. It's really easy to not know what's going on. Because <laughs> I, I, I mean, this sounds horrible, but I remember on 9-11 – I was supposed to do like a photo shoot for some magazine. So I get up, <laughs> eating breakfast, and turn the TV on, getting ready, milling about the house, getting ready to get this phone call from the photographer like, so we're not doing the photo shoot. I'm like, why not? Oh, no. It's like, because of the World Trade Center. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, it's gone. I mean, what do you mean it's gone? Like, because I was just oblivious. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't. It, now people are. They, they can't be oblivious for one. I mean, that's, and the best thing is like, this is a bad segue, but, you know, with a new movie coming out, everyone's Instagramming and tweeting, watching 31. I'm like, no, you're not. You're filming <laughs> yourself watching 31 and then posting it. Because like the other night, I'm so jet lagged from coming back from uh, Europe that I keep waking up at 4 a.m. So I get up and watch a movie and I just sit there and watch it. And I've never been more engaged because even I'll do that. I'm like. Oh, I'm bored for one second. I'm on my computer. Well, now I'm now I'm shopping. I'm on Amazon. I should be watching, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, and, and by the way, can I stay focused? It was very nice of you it just in the midst of the the saying, speaking of the jet lag that you flew to our wedding and then and then in the middle of a tour, you just <laughs> came to the wedding and then flew back out. But at the wedding, and so I appreciate that because I I know what the travel schedule is like, and I, I, I honestly would have like, dude, are you sure you want to do that? And I really wanted you guys at the wedding, but I felt bad that you did that, but I appreciate it. But I'm pretty sure I was no fun at the wedding because I was so jet lagged. No, you seem, but I you definitely wanted fun. to be there. And yeah. and the uh, but what what Lydia did of making everyone not check their phones at the door, every, it was such an amazing party because everyone had to engage with each other, and there was no one. Filming the thing that they were doing, or taking pictures oh, yeah, of the yeah, thing yeah. that they were doing, and and you know, listen, I feel like I don't want to come off as someone who 
is starting to rail against technology and social media. I think it's all good and I think it all has its place. But it has really started to try to supplant actual experiences with talking about the experiences. And as we said earlier, experiences are really what life is supposed to be about. I really think that people – I mean what I've noticed – I notice it most playing concerts because concerts used to be like you played the crowds, you know – it was essential, like, whatever. It never changed. For Sinatra, Led Zeppelin, when I started, people in front of you, and they're looking at you. Yeah. Then it became, okay, everyone's in front of you, but they're looking at their phone looking at you. And now the new thing is everyone has got their back to you filming themselves singing along with you as a background <laughs> prop. And they're like, you know, singing along. And I'm like, what are those people doing? They're facing the wrong direction. Yeah. And it just becomes like. I had to fight the urge. So you know, bizarre. The last couple of concerts I've been to, I, and I, I've taken a, t- I've started taking a bunch of pictures or taking video and being like, I got to share this. I got to share this. People need to see. I got to share this. And had to stop myself and go, hey, you're not, you're missing all of this. Like if someone asked me what the show was like, I'd yeah. be like, oh, it was great. What would they play? I, I mean, you know, they, it was great, you know. So it, it really to like focus and be in the moment and, and yeah. actually have real experiences. I always take one moment during the show because I know asking people to not use their phones is impossible. Right. So I go, give me three minutes. <laughs> so there's one song, put your phone away. Yeah. It takes a while because everybody thinks he doesn't mean me. Right. He means that guy. Yeah, right. Because I'm cool and I'm not going to be weird. <laughs> my phone. So I keep it going, keep it going until you – basically shame everyone to put their phone away for three minutes and you can feel the energy level of like the crowd just go through the roof because for suddenly like oh my god i can jump around i can put my hands in the air i can actually clap because i've got both hands free for the first time and i'm paying attention to what's up there and everything goes up and i actually notice that they sort of start forgetting to take their phones back out you can just feel the whole place but until then it just seems like you come, I mean, it's not every country. It's diff- different countries have different. But um, your tour this year has been really incredible because, I mean, I remember seeing you. I mean, I, I don't I mean, I didn't know you for the earliest days of White Zombie, but I knew you when you like sort of just at the peak of that band. Like, yeah, right, right. Right. right as you were kinda, it's over. Kind of gliding out of it. Yeah, it was like. <laughs> You know, uh, K Rock was playing more human than human, and that fucking blew up. And then, and then all of that, everything else came after that. And then you went solo. Yeah. And um, but what's really amazing to me is that it's. I don't think does your stuff get a ton of radio play. No, it gets. I mean, none. Because because the because I mean maybe a little bit, but basically none. You're touring now. You're touring business now is bigger like you're i remember seeing you at like the avalon or something maybe like 12 years ago and you're playing for like fucking arenas now yeah this was the biggest in you know i've been touring for like 30 years this was the biggest year yet didn't matter when we had radio play or bigger records it's just i noticed there's a funny thing that happens that and i i was hoping it would happen and i was planning on it but i was like oh boy i hope this theory works it seems like when you're new, everyone's excited. Hey, you're new. And when you're maybe 40, they're like, hey, you're not young and new anymore. we sick of you. But then when you hit 50, they go, yeah. Now you've been around so long, you're new again. Because I noticed that with everybody. Hey, he's from, not dead. Yeah, from, it didn't matter if it was like Sting or Ozzy. You just sort of noticed it happening with people. Like it was like Iggy Pop. Like it's exciting again because you go through a whole new wave of people. I and, guess that maybe and, it is. So it's it, a generational yeah, thing. Yeah, it really is. I think that you just, because you're. Cause you're 
you know, you're not old enough that they can think like you've been around long enough to care, but you're not young enough anymore that it's exciting. Well, there's a, <laughs> not not to make not to take the fun or art out of it, but there is a real science, I think, to touring in the sense that you never want to go back to a city too soon. You don't want to wait too long. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure the show is familiar in some ways but wildly different in other ways and ultimately again i don't know why this has become the theme but i really am enjoying it it's really about the experience if you can give your audience a great experience they'll tell a couple people and then you know when a few thousand people each tell a couple people the next time you come back through town and if you're able to do if you're able to up it then it just it just does grow organically but it really does take you really feel the momentum but you gotta you gotta push it like one thing I was doing that was really fucking up my momentum was when I first started, when I started making movies because I would tour and then I would disappear for two years mm-hmm. on a movie. And then every time I'd come back, it seemed like, oh, you're still around? I thought you died or something. <laughs> and so you'd build it all back up again and then I would do it again. Right. And it was just like it just felt like you're reintroducing yourself every time. And now what I do is like shoot the movie, go on tour, come back, edit the movie, go on tour. Release the movie, go into. I never really leave one that long, so it seems like it's all fired up all the time. And is that not? Uh, it, is there a point where you're <laughs> completely jet lagged, where you're like, I don't know how long. Well, it makes I'm... you a little mental, yeah. Because it was like, you know, I, I flew to Spain for the premiere of Thirty One. Next night, I played a show in Berlin. Then, you know, then played a show in Paris and London. Then came back for the premiere of Thirty One in L.A. And then I got. But it, you get a little mental, but it keeps it going. The other way, I, I mean, I'd be off stage for so long making a movie. I'd go like, I don't remember what I used to do up there. This <laughs> is weird. Because you'd just be so out of the mindset of oh, yeah. performing because you become such a behind-the-scenes person for so long. But it, do you envision a time? I mean, do you feel like, well, I'm just going to tour until I fall over? Or do you think, eh, maybe at some point, maybe I won't want to do this. Well, Because the scheduling of it is. I used to think that, but yesterday was Chuck Berry's 90th birthday, I think. Or it's coming up, yeah. And he's putting out a new record. Holy and he still shit. plays, so I'm not sure what the retirement age is yet. <laughs> um, clearly, it's not 60 anymore. No. Um, well, because they just I don't even that, think it's 70 anymore. I don't they know just had it, that festival in the desert with like McCartney yeah. and Neil Young, and and you know, I think oddly enough, I think people kind of made fun of it. They're like, "Oh, what is this old cella?" And yeah. apparently, people went. And they said it was incredible. Like, it was really legitimately incredible. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a bunch of those acts lately. Like, I saw The Who lately and saw McCartney. And the funny thing, uh, well, I think what it was was when rock and roll, I mean, rock and roll's not that old. So when you thought, like, who wants to see the Stones when they're 40? Well, <laughs> what do you, well, because they're still the Stones. It's not the young Stones you go see. And I think that's what people realize, you know. Because you know, I saw the Stones in London, like, I don't know, maybe two years ago. And... They were awesome because they know yeah, how to do old, it. They're old, but they're still the Stones, and you know you're not going to get replace them with some what you're going to go see some young band you never heard of. Yeah, I mean, instead, I think and that's going to be more exciting. Part of it probably so. really does have to do with continuing to try <laughs> to continuing. Well, to try my to innovate, theory is do. you have to stay skinny. <laughs> if you want to jump around on stage for two hours, the yeah. bands we're talking about, everybody kept themselves in shape and they still look good. Yeah, it's it, they, they. No definitely... one's going to see three hundred pound Mick Jagger. Trust me. <laughs> well, because Mick Jagger <laughs> couldn't. I mean, he it, at his age, if he was not in good shape, 
if he was not in excellent shape, he would never. Be, I mean, like the energy required. He's phenomenal still. I mean, you know, and Springsteen. Springsteen's great. in amazing shape. That's ridiculous. He's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's like another. I think it's actually. I think it's thing. good in the sense that, you know, if there's a certain amount of. Uh, hey, I really need to protect the thing that I've built. And if I want to do that, I have to stay in shape. Ultimately, your life really does benefit from the fact of uh, making healthy choices so that you can continue to do the thing that you do. I mean, you have to. It sounds lame, but I mean, it's like, what do you care more about? I mean, I always cared about the show. I didn't care about backstage. You know, it was, to me, the, sh- the show the, was always what was important. Right. I didn't even care if I was having fun. I just needed the show to be good. <laughs> you know, it was like that was the obsession. Make sure the show's good. Not have a party and, you know, whatever. Have fun. Well, with, with, th- with 30 years of touring, how do you decide what... Because obviously when people come, they want to see a mix of like, oh, you know, they're discovering new stuff. But then how do you know like which stuff to cart out? I mean, I always play it more general because the cra- what's happened with us, too, I guess, with the coming around again is the crowds have gotten really young. So it's not like I'm really going out and playing to people my age. Right. There's some. But, you know, the whole front row will be kids that are like, what? you know, it's kind of like when David Bowie put out Let's Dance. And like, right. Hey, who's this new guy? Let's check him out. I love Flack of Seagulls, David Bowie, and Cindy Lauper. You know, it's like, you know, they just, that's their... You can see because we play songs off the new record. They know every word. You play the big songs that you think they'd know. They're like, what is this white zombie (laughs) shit they're playing? What's that? Who's that? So, you know, you just have to mix it up a little bit. When do you write? Do you write? So, like, when you're touring, do you not try to cram anything new? And I guess what I'm getting is how do you... Do you, are you solely focused on touring when you're touring? And when you're doing a movie, are you solely focused on the movie? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I mean, what's good now is where I live and, you know, we, there's a studio, so we, we edited the movies at my house, we recorded the records at my house, so I never have to leave. And the <laughs> band will just, they live there while we're doing it, because they, they'll have their own house to live in and stuff, so it makes it easy. You do live pretty rural, though, and I... We live in the middle. Well, you haven't been to our new house. You no. thought that was rural. You should see where we live now. And it, you don't it's ever like, feel, like, weird and isolated and... All the time. <laughs> <laughs> well that's weird I, I live both because we have a house in california too so it, it's 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 the funniest thing because like every time we end a tour you'll end a tour you're on stage it's like twenty thousand people it's complete madness next day i'm home and there's literally nobody and i'm out there feeding goats <laughs> and it's like one of these seems like it's not real. Please don't tell Lydia you have goats because... Goats are the best. I know. That's what she's... <laughs> you can't have goats here. That's so what I told her. No. She wants two... She wants... No. She wants a goat. And then someone's like, well, you can't just have one goat. No, you, you can't. Get They'll two go goats. crazy. Yeah. You got to have two goats because they need a buddy. And then she's like, and then we should have chickens. We'd have fresh eggs. And I go, I, yeah, but... Chickens maybe you could have, but not the, But the, the responsibility of, you know, these are not... These are not lap animals. Like, they're... They're legitimate. You have to... Re- and, I, and she... Please let me have a goat. I promise I'll take care of it. It's like that kind of thing. Like, I don't... We're not having a goat. We live in the city. Yeah, I mean... It's like the goats... Are, I mean, we would, we would let... You know, this is ridiculous, but... You know, the goats are almost like big dogs. And, like, if they didn't just 
sort of poop without really realizing <laughs> they were doing it. They sort of stand like, hey, what's up? <laughs> it's all coming up. You would let them in the house because they're super clean and they're super friendly. But that's the only drawback. They're sort of like, <laughs> excuse me while I piss all over the coffee table. They literally, a goat probably doesn't understand the idea of holding it. It's just when they have to go, it just falls out of their body. Yeah. Yeah, because all they eat is, I mean, is grass. So nothing's clogging them up. <laughs> you know, it's just coming out. You can't give a goat a cheese plate. Like that would no, be. Uh... And they don't eat everything. I don't know where that story started. We, we try to give it our goats carrots. And they're like, ugh. I think that's, I think it came, I think it came from where most modern myths come from which is 1930s cartoons yeah like everything i know about everything i learned on the little <laughs> no one rascals. ever wore a barrel with suspender straps <laughs> during the depression you know, i was watching the little rascals the other day remember i was a kid you felt like why don't we always put on shows and build our own cars and have our own fire department why is our neighborhood so lame shouldn't we have a mule you know pulling our own fire cart that we built and actually be safe Hey, kids. hey kids there's a baby throwing money out of the window come on i think people i think some people think that that uh oil came directly from dinosaurs because of like old commercials old yeah. cartoons old campaigns and uh yeah it's so i it, it, you really do need to take a minute and examine all the i think people should take a minute and examine all the things they believe to make sure that all those things actually check out yeah i mean because as a kid, we thought like we should be putting on boxing matches in the backyard <laughs> because that's what Alfalfa did. And you're like, this isn't working out at all. Did, you know? Meanwhile, while they're shooting those, those kids were all paid like a nickel a week, and they had to sleep on asbestos. Like it was yeah, the, right. the worst. It was not. It was not a good time. That I mean, you know, I'm sure that the Great Depression, everyone <laughs> must have thought, well, it's is over. It's done. Yeah. I mean, it's like the end of that. Everyone. <laughs> Go to the speakeasy and there call was, it a day. There was America. That was it. It's funny. I was reading this interview with Woody Allen. It was a, a new one. It was at Con. He's talking about, I've been aware, of, they were talking about how he's always obsessed with death and whatnot. And he was like saying he's been aware of his mortality since he was nine. Oh, Jesus. And, just, and he was just going on like, nothing matters. <laughs> you know, it's like Mozart, Michelangelo. It's all going to be gone one day. No one's going to care. No one's going to remember. He goes, I make movies and. I focus on them. It's just a distraction from the fact that none of it makes any difference or matters. I don't think that's the worst <laughs> philosophy, by the way, because it takes a lot of fake importance off things if you if you sort of... I think you think that, too. I mean, I think that more as I get older. You're like, eh, who gives a shit? <laughs> like, you know, like, I used to be really precious about everything. Like, like the quality of, like, uh, like, every book had to be perfect. Everything had to be perfect. Now I'm like, ah, crap, I ripped the cover off. Who gives a shit? I'm going to be dead soon anyway. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, I used to keep everything perfect. You know, I have like records from 40 years ago still in shrink wrap that are in mint condition just because I was like a, such a maniac about everything. Now yeah. I'm like, whoops, I threw the record across the room and used it for a Frisbee. Eh, whatever. Yeah, I guess that's the other thing with like, <laughs> What are you recording everything for? You know, like what is that? You're never gonna watch. You're never you gonna need a look whole other life things. just to watch back the vacation that you didn't really pay attention to the first time. And then happened. your kids are gonna find that and go, "My parents were fucking boring and yeah. narcissists." But they sure like to take pictures of their lunches. <laughs> Boy, did they eat a lot of stuff! Look <laughs> at all these sandwiches. I find they don't take a picture of anything. My whole Instagram is stolen from other people's Instagrams because, like, last night was our premiere, and I got home and I realized, yeah, I didn't even take one photo the whole night. But that, isn't that kind of nice, though? Take, I went on tour, didn't take one photo. Because I don't care. I hate, I, hate, I hate recording things. I don't care. This makes me feel embarrassed later. 
Because I always thought, like, I should have a journal. I'd write in it for one day, read it back. I'm like, I'm an idiot, and I would just throw it away. I don't want to know this. The Woody Allen thing. These rem- thoughts are the terrible. The Woody Allen thing as a kid reminds me of, I bought, uh, I bought uh, the, great, the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yeah. And we're, And it occurred to me, oh, this is really depressing. Like, the peanuts were really depressing because... You know, especially a lot of the early Schultz Peanuts cartoons where these we- these children were having these grand existential crises, and and they're, yeah, and they're all depressing. And and if anything, it's every Peanuts cartoon when I would watch as a kid, I remember being so excited to watch them and being so sad for like a day afterwards because of the malaise of their existence. And and you know, first of all, as a ten year old. Ki- there's a ten year old kid who's essentially going bald, so he's already like <laughs> yeah. he's already having a tough go at life. As yeah, I mean, is. I just watched The Great Pumpkin just like a couple days ago, and like when Linus is like, you know, like, things you don't discuss: religion, politics, and the Great Pumpkin. Like, <laughs> when I was like five, was I like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I don't know, Mom. Why don't we discuss religion, politics, and the Great Pumpkin? Shut like, up, and it, watch the, the yeah. Content. They're not even for kids, and they're not funny. I mean, if you listen to the and even the. The Christmas one. It's like the saddest sounding song. Christmas time is here. (laughs) Maybe we should end it all. This is the fucking most depressing. And then that's why the like Arrested Development used that song whenever someone would get really bummed and slink away. That was that was a fucking Christmas song. I know it's really weird. So I don't. I mean, I don't know. I guess that is another perfect example of. Oh, I remember this as being really great, but when I actually thought about like. Wait, these are really sad. These children are really sad. We had horrible childhoods, Chris. <laughs> but it made us who we are. I always say that because I feel like, uh, you know, every time I see kids now, not kids, but like parents with kids are always like, great job, buddy. I'm like, what? He just shit his pants. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, they get, a goat. I don't remember ever being complimented on anything. All I remember is like, shut your mouth and just eat that. <laughs> Uh, you know, How can I shut my mouth and eat that at the same the time? Catchphrase. Don't talk back yeah, to my me. My dad's favorite catchphrase was, I, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> but now everything's like, good. You know, like, catchphrase. <laughs> that's all I remember. You want something to cry about? I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> oh, I'm not crying anymore. I mean, I do, I do think, I think in the effort to be supportive and help everyone feel like they can reach their potential... I do think we've gone too far in the other direction of like, you're not teaching anyone any life, like giving someone a, you know, like creating a safe space wherever Ugh. someone goes there. It's when something it. really serious happens, they're not going to have the coping mechanism because y- they've been completely coddled their entire lives. It's not healthy. Yeah. And it's funny, like very rarely do I get in a situation where we're like babysitting, but every once in a while there'll be some relative and the kid will do something. And I, first thing I want to say is like, I'm going to fucking put you in the trash can if you don't pick that up now. I'm going to give you something. <laughs> let, me, let me adopt this catchphrase. I'm terrible, though. I, I ugh, you know, because like, I'm the, I get into that. Like, I'm the fucking adult. We do it my way. I don't give a shit. And the look of like, <gasps> the shocked, you know, jaw dropping is a pleasure to watch. Yeah. You know, nothing freaks kids out more when you scream at them. I don't give a shit. This is the way Uncle Rob does it. <laughs> like when they're watching some kid show and you walk in, just change the channel. Like, but we were, wa- I don't give a shit. We're watching uh, Day of the Earth Stood Still, you know, and I hope you don't like it. Whatever My Little Pony shit you're watching is D U N. 
you should really so, I'm still laughing at the look of shock. It's a pleasure to watch. Oh, yeah, I know. I don't know why that's so funny to me. Because <laughs> kids, uh, you don't hear it anymore. Like when we were kids, I heard it. Like, uh, your parents yelled at you, shut the fuck up. You're like, okay. Now they're like, don't you understand who I am? I'm the child. I'm precious. No, you're not. There's a whole Instagram feed devoted to how amazing I am. Don't you yeah. know this? I don't get. Let's a face shit. it. Go look at the, every school. There's maybe one decent kid in each school. The rest are, you know. Think back to your high school. Oh my god! You know, it's like oh, if you get one so... decent kid, you're all right. The rest are, so... you know. I'm sorry, I can't stop, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> like, because it, it is, it, like, no one's, there's going to be a generation of kids who when shit goes sideways, they're not going to know what the fuck to do. No, childhood <laughs> has to suck because you have to learn quickly. The other kids are douchebags and you got to figure out how to deal with it. You yeah. go to school and either you figure out a crafty way to avoid things or you get into fucking fights all the time and that's life. And it only gets shittier once you grow up. Well, Dealing with fifth graders is easy, man. <laughs> most, I think most... <laughs> I think if, if everyone's life were perfect all the time, there probably wouldn't be much art because, you know, art is a defense mechanism and it's a reaction to being uncomfortable and... We all do this stuff because we're pissed off and angry at everything <laughs> we went through in life. <laughs> And we're all secretly seeking horrible revenge on everybody. <laughs> right? Yes. yes, of course. Of course. Because we're well-adjusted and happy. Yeah. If I was well-adjusted and happy, I wouldn't have done shit with myself. <laughs> people, you know, a lot of times people just do stuff and imagine, like, <laughs> marching into their high school reunion like, yeah, fuck all you guys. Yeah. Look what happens. Yeah, come yeah, on. Like, it's like Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. Like, <laughs> movie I'm still a helicopter holds up. in. That movie's great. <laughs> that movie's fucking great. I think no. they should do another one. But no, like, you ever know anyone who get? I know you do, hands you a script or something, he goes, be brutally honest with me. Right. And I'll think of, like, the most featherweight comment I can think of. Right. Because I go, first of all, someone says, be brutally honest with me means they can't handle anything. Right. So you go, eh, maybe it got a little confusing in the middle. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> when you said honest, you meant fucking honest. <laughs> but you asked me to. Yeah, and I, I said, I said nothing. Well, honest would be, like, kill yourself. But, you know, like, that happened to me recently with somebody, and I was like, just, you know, mostly, here's 99 things that are positive, and you kind of slip in one thing. Well, maybe it's too long. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one you thing forever. if you, it's, I think it's one thing if you, Go tap someone on the shoulder and go, hey, this thing you did wasn't... But if someone asks you for your opinion and then they get upset when you're like, but you asked me to... And don't you want it to be better? Because if it's... Don't... Yeah. I mean, and even then you knew they weren't going to react good. So you just gave them like the softest sort of thing. Well, no one ever wants to be... I get it. I mean, listen, I don't, I don't like being uncomfortable. No one likes to be uncomfortable. But the times of adversity and discomfort is where you experience the most growth. That's how you, you know, that's how calluses form, you know, that's how, yeah, that's, that's how individuality <laughs> forms. It's like, it's that, uh, it's that one Star Trek movie where, uh, you know, uh, Spock's half brother is trying to take everyone's pain. And Kirk's <laughs> like, you can't take my pain. My pain is what 
that's what makes me or whatever he says you know it's like oh yeah it's true like you can't it'd be it'd be nice to feel amazing all the time but then would you appreciate it then it's not really amazing anymore then it's just kind of status quo yeah exactly i mean the day high school ended was the greatest day of my life (laughs) and it's been great ever since because it was like it was like 12 years of prison right and then i was like you don't have to do this i never looked back but you know Oh, but if is... high school and everything was the best years of your life, I'm sorry. You know what this podcast is missing is us, a porch, and two rocking chairs. Have we come... Is there <laughs> is there anything we haven't complained about yet? There must be. We hate is kids. There any... Is there anything we have an old man complain about? I hate about? kids and vinyl rules and... And the rock music. Oh, wait a minute. I'm the rock music. I can't phones. complain about that. By the way, we watched... Uh, <laughs> it was sort of... I don't even think... I wasn't even sure when we were going to be doing the podcast. I just knew that we were going to do it. And we... Lydia and I had already watched Thirty One. Like we we watched it yeah. ages ago when it first when it first when came, it came out. out like four years ago. And uh, it's great because it's, it's sort of like a, there's al- it's almost like a horror Running Man in a weird in a weird sort of way. Yeah, everyone keeps saying that. I haven't seen the Running Man in so long. I can't remember. It's like I thought it was like a horror most dangerous game. Which yeah, I guess yeah. it's the Running Man. Yeah, <laughs> but Running Man was my was my reference point because the move. Well, that movie is. I, I mean, just remember again, Richard Dawson. That's the part of running Richard Dawson out. was great in it. <laughs> Maybe I'm remembering that because it was it was you know in the '90s and that or late '80s, early '90s, and everything from then was great. But uh, <laughs> that movie was really more about the sort of um, where our culture is almost kind of now, actually, like that dystopian future. Yeah. But uh, but 31 is really just like a a weird fucked up uh, survival game put on by the i'm assuming these demented millionaires yeah i mean I, I yeah i just wanted to come up with a really simple movie and i thought oh you know crazy rich people that are just kidnapping poor people and making them fight to the <laughs> death which probably goes on anyway sure i mean if does. human trafficking is going on then that's got to be going on this somewhere in like some back alley in you know thailand somewhere, where yeah. people fighting to the death for somebody's amusement so i just thought there you go and then expand upon it from there now, uh, it was really, uh, you know, Rob, I feel like uh, there's a lot of really important themes to explore in this movie, like uh, stabbing a little person who is Latino and dressed like Hitler 150 times. Yeah. <laughs> I felt that had to be addressed. <laughs> Sherry, like, fucking slays in the movie. Oh, she hates when I make her do those scenes. Really? Oh, she hates it. She doesn't like violent movies at all. You know, every movie she's ever been in is the most violent movie. And last night we were at the premiere, we were watching it, and um, you'll find it was that scene. She's stabbing, you know, little Hitler guy, and she was sitting next to Jen Jostin, and she goes, Hey, Jen, remember when, how we met? I was stabbing you just like that. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems so funny. <laughs> I was sitting on top of you, stabbing you instead of him. I mean, Sherry is really a horror queen now. Like, she is a, she is a, a legend in the horror I know, genre. It's. it's it's funny, yeah. She's she gets she she doesn't know what to make of it. She's like you know, oh, with, but we went to Spain wherever, and she gets like mobbed. I mean, it's there. it's funny because it, it makes her really uncomfortable. Just having known you guys for so long, it, it just sort of feels like, hey, I want to make a movie. Uh, you should be in it, and you should be in it, and then we'll just make it ourselves. That's kind of the way it still is. <laughs> really, just uh, honey, you want to just be in this because we it's just easier if you do it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just fun. Like, it just starts that way. I like working with people that I like, and it's my own. I don't – I realized I, I had a, a conflict at one point because I was like, what am I tr- – where am I trying to go with all this? You know, is the goal to 
try to make movies with $100 million budgets and break into this mainstream stuff. Because, like, after Halloween, that's sort of where it was headed, you know, to try to keep doing more and more and more. And then one day I had to be honest with myself. I was like, I don't really care about that. You know what I mean? I don't know if it would be any more fun. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be fun because I'm not a team player and I don't like to be part of corporate stuff. Because, like, anytime I'm in that situation, if I'm like, well, here's what I want to do. And they're like, well, here's all of our thoughts. I go, well, good. I think we're done here then. You right. know, I just can't. I don't, that's not why I want to do stuff. It's like, you know, and some people want to be in Black Flag and some people want to be in Journey. They're not in Black Flag because they didn't get to be in Journey. They just don't care, <laughs> you know. And that's I, I do. The, I mean, I grew up wanting to make that type of fucked up stuff and not wanting to make. Well, the, and that's the thing. If you, <clears throat> There's also the stuff. There's so much more pressure if you're spending two hundred million dollars, then everyone has to weigh in because that's a significant. Well, and I get investment. that. It's it's no longer like some little movie that you can make. It has to be something that's going to make a billion dollars and and make all the stockholders of this giant corporation happy. I think you should only make a two hundred million dollar movie if you feel like. I have this crazy idea, and it can only be done this way, and that's how I want to do it. But I can't. Otherwise, I don't know. I honestly, I otherwise, it doesn't sound fun. It just sounds like a lot of pressure and stress. I mean, it does to me. Sounds like that, but for, but that's me. I mean, other people, that's that's where they they're great for that. You know, certain directors or whatever. That's what that's what they're made to do. So it's not. You know, it's just kind of like everybody doesn't want to be Beyonce. I guess it, you know, it'd I mean, be really interesting like, to see... But for a, her, she wants to be Beyonce. It'd be really interesting to see a breakdown on a $200 million movie of exactly where that money goes. Well, I've ta- it's funny because I, I know a lot of people that work on those movies. Like Because a lot of my cinematographers or camera operators, when they're not doing... They do mine so they can do fucked up stuff, but then they'll go do right. those movies, whatever, big extravaganza. And sometimes they'll come back and go like, yeah, our budget was $80 million, but I think we still had the same amount of money you had (laughs) because there was about $75 million above the line for producers and cast and this and that. And we were still, you know, essentially making a low-budget movie that cost a fortune. Or just overshooting or just having days where they set up and don't shoot and then... Yeah, just, you know, like anything, it just becomes too many people involved. And I, I see, I think that sometimes too, like... One of the reasons I liked The Hangover because it was a really good-looking film. Yeah. I mean, it was really funny, too. But most of the time you go see a comedy, you go, like, why does this look like a shitty sitcom? Right. It cost $80 million. Yeah. And it looks worse than, you know, it looks like an episode of, like, Three's Company. Well, you like, know. what the fuck happened here? Yeah, that was, that was a really great genre of films in the 80s of, like, the big budget sort of, like, action comedy or the, like, the, where it was yeah. treated like a really serious piece of cinema, but it just happened to be a comedy. Yeah. It's like those, you know, uh, um, Beverly Hills Cop is a really pretty, it's a really cool movie. The Last Boy Scout's a really cool movie. Yeah, that's why I always think like Young Frankenstein is like the perfect movie because it's a phenomenal looking movie artistically, but it's hilarious. Right. Like I just don't know that you could ever get that, a movie like that now. I mean, I guess you could. That's a stupid thing to say, but you know what I mean? Like it's just... Like, everyone loves Blazing Saddles and whatnot, but Young Frankenstein is so amazingly made. Do you ever feel trapped in the genre, though, where you feel like, I kind of want to do something else, but are people going to be okay with it if I do, or is it weird? Ah, maybe I should do another horror movie. I don't, I don't feel trapped. I mean, getting the horror movies made is 
none of them are easy to get made, but they're easier mm -hmm. because there's an easier return. So people aren't so scared to make them. But the next film that I say this, but it probably, you know, you never know, is this Raised Eyebrows, this Groucho Marx movie that, you know, has been, I've been dealing with for a couple of years. That should be the next movie. And that's very much outside the realm of what I would normally do. Which I, did you talk about this the last time? You probably. Um, <laughs> Because what it was, I, I, it, there was this book I bought. I, well, I, I read the book about seven years ago, I think, maybe more. And it was just amazing. It just was about the last three years, basically, of Groucho's life through the eyes of this UCLA student, Steve Stolia, who, oh, oh, right, who got to hang was out. his who, assistant in his right. house and was kind of trapped in this sort of sunset boulevard right. of Groucho having strokes and being sick and being abused by this woman who was supposed to be taking care of him. And he was sort of in the middle of it all. And I just mentioned how much I liked the book in an interview one time and got in touch with Steve and bought the rights to the book and blah, blah, blah. And now the script is done and, you know, should be a movie soon. So it's really, it's really just sort of a dramatic, like, biopic of his, of Last, this guy's point of view. Yeah, it's, it's like a serious Ed Wood almost. Right. Like how that's not like a Lugosi biopic, but it's like about the last years of his life, basically. I, I feel like um, it's... All those, all those people that you know really are pillars of culture from that era. I feel like a lot of them just it just didn't end well for so many people. It's yeah, I, you know, I don't think it did. Because, I mean, Groucho sort of had a resurgence, but for the most part, I think you know they get kind of forgotten. I mean, it was like eighty-five when he died, and died the same week as Elvis, so no one even noticed. But. Um, because he had the because you bet your life was pretty pretty big for a yeah, while. Yeah, I mean he had money, still lived in nice, but I think he lost. You know, he went through the depression, the stock market crash. But yeah, I mean he just become like an old. He's like in his eighties with this younger woman taking care of him. Whoever thinks, oh great, but then you know, behind the scenes, it's not all great. It's kind of like you see it sometimes. It pops up like Martha Ray. Remember she had that weird thing. She's in a wheelchair. All oh the, yeah, and she had that young guy taking care. Yeah. of her. that's not fishy at all. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that, you know. Boy, I mean. I hate being suspicious. I mean, I don't like to be a suspicious person, but whenever you do see that setup, it's hard not to go like, yeah, yeah. all right, come on. Uh, come on. It's like Anna Nicole Smith with that old guy. It's yeah. a lot of that. Like, of come stuff, on you know? now. Yeah, she really loves him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're perfect together. But uh, yeah, but I love weird old Hollywood. What I thought you were going to say, and I was wondering, but don't you think sort of now those icons are starting to disappear well, yeah, because, because, they're, they're, the, you, because there's just so much of everything. And, yeah, because I, I was, like, that stuff was already really old when we were kids, but it was always on TV, you know, like, oh, Groucho Marx, W.C. Fields, whatever. You always knew about it. But now, since everything's there, it's not, you know, when you didn't have a million channels, you just kind of watched what was put in front of you. But now, you, unless you actively search it out, you're not going to be a kid who watches a well, it is, it's, movie for the most part. It's sort of the, it's the downside to the... I'll just make up a word, nicheification of our culture, yeah. where you can you can have your very specific entertainment needs met, which is great. It's like, oh, wow, this really speaks to me on such a cellular level. But, you know, part of the downside of that is then there's no, there just aren't as many. I mean, I've talked about that with, like, when I was growing up, there were, you know, a stable, a pantheon of super comics. Yeah. You know, and now there's really only a few. I mean, like, Kevin Hart and... There's, you know, like Amy Schumer, Amy and maybe Louie and Gaffigan, yeah. but it's not, but it's not the same. It's not the same as it was. Like I feel like, and especially because 
because of social media and because of the amount of information, there's a lot of mythos that's been completely evaporated because yeah. you know everything about everyone because everyone's just become an open. I mean, obviously you don't know everything, everything about, it, but in but to an extent, you know, everyone's just has kind of an open door policy on their lives. So you know, it's like. Uh, everyone lives on social media, and I so wonder, you see their daily life. I always wonder how long that can be maintained just because eh, nobody's that interesting. No. Like, you know, you could take, you used to be able to take like a little bit and drag it out. Like, I could drag this out for 10 years, but now people tell you so much that like six months later, you're like, yeah, pretty much over this person. Well, I, I thought remember, they were the funniest thing I ever heard, but now I don't care anymore. When I was dating Jacinda, and she had just come off the fourth season of The Real World, and Real World was like, Wow, this show is so groundbreaking, and it's yeah. so what appear into these people's lives. And then after she did the show, then you learn, oh well, the storylines are very manipulated, and they're creating characters yeah. in the edit process. So we went to to the Miami house, which was season five, just to watch some of the filming. It was the fucking most boring. They where they just had cameras on all the time, and it's like, oh, these people are just living their lives. There's not even, and that's sort of what we're becoming is that. It's like the Big Brother cameras. That's my other theory is that – and I think – I don't remember who I said that to. Maybe Anna Kendrick. But the Big Brother is has happened, but everyone is Big Brother yeah. because of social media. It's like social media, like we want to control what you say and think and – Well, yeah. It used to be about keeping experience. Big Brother out of your life, but now we've just invited him in. <laughs> and, we've and, given and, him and a room is, in our house. He is and, us. We are yeah, it. You know? We like, became our own worst enemy. That is it. So it's just kind of a strange thing that we're all living – through this under this microscope at all times and so none of it's really that special anymore and the things i find myself sometimes sitting there watching i'm like i am watching people people renovate their house on television <laughs> those are fun though i don't even want to yeah, renovate my house in real life but i want to watch them because i always think like, i'll be sometimes like i probably could get i couldn't get a show made but if I made a show about my plumber, I could probably get that on the air because he's just kind of an idiot and he'd have his own show. You know what I mean? Ralph's Plumbing. Yeah. It's a hit. Meanwhile, no one wanted like the scripted, like the yeah. weird, crazy, psychedelic, you know, they just want to watch a guy. I mean, those, it's all distraction. It's all just distraction. And I know exactly why, because I watch those shows too, and I know exactly what it is. It's low impact story are it's low impact drama the stakes are low it it just sort of takes you on enough of a journey to distract you but you know at the end everything's going to be fine uh remember like people would say like if you, i remember like the catchphrase was if would be like well when i go to the movies i don't want to have to think right people would always say that like that's why you know i went to see this and not that and now i think that that kind of applies to most things well especially i mean i find because like, i don't have to think when i'm watching love it or list it <laughs> Because I watch, I go, clearly her budget's not going to cover the renovated basement. I can no. see that now because they're going to dig it open and there's going to be a septic problem. So maybe they should list it. <laughs> I think they're going to list it this time. Yeah. But uh, uh, I find that I'm so hyper-focused on work all day and then just trying to keep up with everything that's going on. By the time I come home, I mean, there are days where I just can't remember words to things. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, is my brain – like I'm, ar- I, oh I'm already deteriorating, you know, in my 40s or it's just – I think we're just – we ask – we demand so much more of our brains than they are actually evolved to handle. Yeah, I think that's true. Like because I'll find myself all the time being like, hey, uh, what's that thing? I need the uh, – oh, oh, what do you call it? Um, <laughs> can you uh, – Fork. Can you hand me that fork? 
You know, I'm just like standing there like total brain freeze. And that's because I've been texting with five different people at once, answering emails, trying to work on a script, like all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, our brains are limited. So that when it's time to like eat a meal, I can't think of what the spoon's called. The the brain is the one technology that we can't upgrade every six months. Like it's just, this is it. This is really it. I mean, and I really feel, I never used to think taking time off was really that important. I'm like, you'll lose so much momentum. But I feel like, well, you have to because you, you just, over time, the returns are diminishing because you can't. Yeah. And then I wonder, like, keep it up. Lose momentum for what? I know. Yeah. Working I don't yourself know. to death. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It is funny because, like, now I've gotten way more slack about that. I used to be super crazy around the clock about everything. Now I'm kind of like. Who gives a shit? <laughs> because it doesn't fucking matter, you know, at all. Like, I'll, if I showed up on a press line and there wasn't tons of press, now I show up and go, oh, good, nobody's here. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Who cares? It doesn't make any difference. Well, that's, yeah, the press, the press line is really interesting because it is, it really burrows under your ego because you, you know, because part of the problem is with the creative endeavor, there are not, there are not a lot of ways to really determine am I doing this right? Or do people? And so you look at, you look at these weird applied metrics like, well, how many people showed up? Okay. I guess that's a way of determining whether or not I did this thing right or not. So now I can feel bad about myself. And it's all, I think it's just all just a way to make yourself feel bad about yourself. I think that now the way I look at it is that like, and it sounds really pretentious and I'm trying to say it in a way that doesn't sound pretentious, but if you're doing music or you're writing or making movies, it's essentially all art. Right. And it's really hard to judge. Because even with my stuff, there'll be records that I made like, whatever, 30 years ago that at the time I thought like, this is a piece of shit. I never want to hear this again. Yeah. And I'll put it on and go like, wow, this is kind of cool. Right. In retrospect, this is kind of a really weird thing that what made me even think of doing this? This is, and it's like that with everything. Like, you know, you go back and people are like, why isn't it like this? Nobody liked The Shining when it came out. They crucified him. Nobody liked Barry Lyndon. Nobody liked Full Metal Jacket. You know, they ripped 2001 to shreds. Now it's like he is by far the greatest filmmaker of all time. It's like because nobody has any perspective. They want to get it that second. That like to say, like, there's nothing to wonder about. Love it or list it. Right. But sometimes I'll watch a movie and I'm like, I don't know if I like this, but I better watch it a few more times because I know there's something there. Right. And the best thing I ever heard about that was one time Woody Allen, who I love, was he said he went to see 2001 and he hated it. And he, everyone was saying how great it was. He goes, I didn't like it at all. So I went to see it again. And he goes, on the second viewing, I realized this was the first time I ever saw a movie where the director was ahead of me. I had to catch up to what he was doing because he was beyond where I was as a right. viewer. And that's what it is sometimes. And, but everything's judged so, like, like I said, they're, they're twittering five minutes into the movie. Why? Piece of shit. Well, because like, there's... You, the credits didn't even... You're still watching the logos of the well, production we're companies. S- we're so spoiled. We're so spoiled because there's so much stuff. I mean, it's, you know, if you, if you have uh, 50 steaks in your freezer, you're going to be like, meh. Yeah. Whatever, it's not a big deal. If you haven't eaten in three days and someone gives you a fucking morsel of a steak, it's the greatest. Oh, you know, it's like Eddie Murphy. This is the greatest Ritz cracker. Oh, this is the Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Eddie Murphy. Oh, it's delicious cracker. Or something. <laughs> what is that, a Ritz? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, uh, but it's, it's the idea that I think we're so spoiled with everything and we take everything for granted that it's easy to shit on stuff. You're like, nah, I don't care. I'll just put this yeah, next thing over here. There's a million other things. No, no one, there isn't, 
there isn't the brain space for most people to watch things three or four times because they feel like, well, I got to watch this next thing. I got to catch up on Game of Thrones. I got to catch up on this thing. You know? I know. When people ask me all this, tell me all the shows they watch, I'm like, how, do, how is that even humanly possible to watch <laughs> all those shows? Uh, I'm still trying to catch up on MASH. Um, <laughs> don't tell me well, what the, happens the to The Korean Hawkeye. War ends. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you. The Korean War ends. But do you think sometimes it comes around to like... But we're almost in another one. Because <laughs> everyone's told they're awesome and everything. So when they don't like something, they go, this, fuck, this is dumb. This fucking sucks. But when I was younger, I thought like, I must be stupid. I don't get it. Like I didn't go... Great expectations, dumb. Right. I just thought, like, hmm, maybe I'm too dumb to get it. Yeah, and, I, like, and I, I, I better learn more and then read it again or something. I do get in arguments with people sometimes, and I think they mistake my attempt to get them to self-reflect as not being either not being able to handle criticism or not allowing them to have their opinion. But when someone says, it, but it's usually when someone says, there was no reason for X to happen, and I go, I go, it, you. You can say that you don't like something, but you you don't have the perspective to say there was no reason yeah. for that thing to happen. Maybe there was a reason and you don't get it. Yeah. Or maybe not. I don't know, but it you can't it's a difficult path to judge things on a macro like universal level when really what you just want to say is why well, I didn't like that thing. Well fine, you can totally not like that yeah. thing. Cuz every that's the thing too that, that I think the internet. I always say this is like everything is not for everybody. That is exactly what And the yes. internet has created this illusion that everybody's supposed to like people are like what because they always do is want to do interviews now it's like what do you think about what like, people online if they don't like what you do? I go I don't give a fucking shit what do I think about an anonymous person who I don't even know if I'm talking to a seven year old or a 90 year old <laughs> who didn't like what what the fuck do I fucking give a shit I don't even know if it's a real person you know and it's just like yeah just, and think about it, it's like if your favorite thing in the world is Rihanna you probably fucking hate Lou Reed right but that but to me it's the opposite you right. know and it's you don't. And some people like everything, but in but it's not everything. Like everything's not for everyone. Everything is not for everyone. I and, don't like country music, but a lot of people do. And and also <laughs> this weird idea that people feel like they have to, if they don't like something, they have to go. Like what happened to just not listening to things or not in, not uh, consuming things that you don't like? It's like I don't like that thing. I'm gonna go destroy it. It's like, but you what? Just don't go near it. Like. I yeah. don't particularly care for the Kardashians. I don't watch their show, and my life is fine. Like, I don't feel like I have to go destroy it. You know, I have to go tear them yeah, down. Yeah, like, it's not on my radar. I don't, like, I better go to her Twitter and set her straight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to come with an angle that I bet she never thought of like, before. I was like, like, who goes to someone's Facebook page that they hate to tell them they hate, like, yeah, it's a strange. Like, like why would you, you put took in that the much energy? Time why would you data? put in the energy? Why did you, you know? And then that's, that's when I really think that, you know, it's it's all and and listen i have been guilty of it before so i'm not saying you know i'm so enlightened but but, but it's such an ego pursuit to try to control everyone's experience when really you could just avoid a thing rather than having to i mean like i see reviews where people now clickbait headlines like you know this movie or this TV show is bad, and you shouldn't watch it. Like, yeah. why? Make, why not just say you don't like it? Why, why do you have Breaking to... Bad was actually the worst show ever made? Yeah, why do you have to? Okay. <laughs> why do you have to control <laughs> everyone's experience? Not everything is for everyone, and that's okay. That is, that is the variety is the spice of life. Why, you know, it's and like sometimes, like we said before, things don't make sense in their time. Right. For everyone jacking off to Star Trek. <laughs> now, uh, saying you like Star Trek in the seventies was like saying, "Please come beat me up." Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a much different. 
But then those beat-ups Kill force you to become introspective, yeah. and then you create art. I still remember like when I was a kid, like on PBS, they showed Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. It was just the Tom Baker Doctor Who. And I remember watching it going like, this is probably the worst thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And then I would watch it again the following day because there was nothing else on. I go, <laughs> yeah, still hate it. And then eventually I was like, this is my favorite show ever. <laughs> but it was like, but it took a long week of going, this is the cheapest, shittiest, most annoying. And like, I, can't watch, I can't get enough of this. But, it was, but sometimes think, it just takes a second to get into the rhythm of what's going on with something to, and I, to get I, it. And I also think there's something to, so, you know, this, this would be an interesting challenge. I want to challenge anyone who's listening to the podcast to go listen or watch something that you would never think you would like. Something that you think that you might hate. Whether it's like, oh, I watch a show on CMT or I listen to this one album or whatever. A- anything that's outside what you would normally watch. And consume it like three or four times and see if something weird doesn't happen where you start going, oh, wait. Yeah. I kind of get this. Just to see. Just as an experiment. Because if you hate it, if you still hate it, then you get the confirmation of, okay, I can confirm that I do hate this thing. Yeah. Or what if you discover something new? Or what if you learn how to adapt in a situation? That's, you know, we're just... Our, I think the most dangerous thing about our culture is we're just not we're, we're not very adaptive. We're 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 losing the ability to adapt because we can change. You know, we can algorithmically change our environment to just be surrounded by stuff that makes us comfortable. Yeah, right. We want to be comfortable all the time, and everything has to be perfect for me. Yeah, but uh, I lost my train of thought. I had a good point for what you're saying. Fork. You were um, asking for a fork. Yeah, right. It's, it's happening. <laughs> but I think it's. Uh, because if you're comfortable all the time, that doesn't really create uh, growth experiences. And I think if the theme of the podcast has been about creating experiences, besides basically two possibly older men just shouting at you about why everything is dumb. Uh, Those two guys suck. You guys suck. Can't wait till next week. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> when are Matt and Jonah coming back on? We need some fucking young guys on there talking about young guy stuff. This is fucking dumb. These but, old guys hate everything. Fucking... But what you're saying is so true because sometimes I'll just go and find things and I don't know what it is like. I'm going to listen to French pop music. How would you? Because just because there'll be some perspective on it that'll give me insight into something else. And that's what I find sometimes too when people are like, like you hear a band and you go, sounds real derivative. What do you guys like? And they'll name this, this, this. And I go, of course. You like the three things that sounds like you guys just ripped off. Right. Go listen to something else and twist that, morph that into something else. You can't just like, oh, I like Chris Rock, so my comedy sounds exactly like Chris Rock. And you're like, but I think okay. I think some of it really <laughs> is a byproduct of. I think some of it's just our our brain's way of dealing with all of the the glut of stuff that's out there to process because we set a certain amount of like autopilot protection faults on our brain to try to conserve energy. So you go, you just put everything into these broad backs and you go, okay, I feel like I probably don't like any of that stuff. And I do like this one thing. So I'm just going to hold on to this and I don't want have any room for anything else new. But when you do that, I think that's when you really cut off from the rest of the world. And that's really when you do start aging. It's like when you stop growing. Yeah. I mean, you have, you can't ignore everything. Cause I know a lot of people that do that and it's like, okay, that's weird too. Yeah. What's an email? I'm like, okay, we're not going down that road. <laughs> um, but, but it is funny when you like, you click on something on like iTunes or something. It's like other people liked this or other people bought this. And like back in the day, you'd go, I don't give a fuck what other people <laughs> bought. <laughs> you know? Well, I think, you know, why are you trying to convince me? 
I look I look at uh, Weird Al was just on At Midnight the other night, and you know, there's a guy that very easily could have just had one, could have had Eat It. Yeah, as a, as a novelty song. I mean, you know, Doctor Demento was very big at the time. Novelty songs were very big at the time. You know, there for for Weird Al, there are a million people that you that you've never heard from again. But there was something about him, and you know, being immensely talented, but also, you know, he never stopped learning new. That he never stopped following pop culture. And so, you know, when he released the tacky parody of Happy. And Mandatory World Tour was like his like his biggest fucking yeah, tour. Yeah, yeah. It's like he still he still does the research and work and he's still present in the world. And I think there's a really interesting lesson to learn from that. And he'll have a career for as long as he wants. You'll have a career for as long as you want to have a career. And I it, think sometimes you I you have to do things that at the at the time might seem detrimental to your career too. Because if you just keep feeding people what they want, they they, they get sick of you. Right. Like, sometimes you have to do stuff. You go, hmm, I know this is not what the fan... Like, you don't do it on purpose to fuck with your fans by any means, but you have to always do what you want to do, you know? Because, like, look at anything like the Beatles. Okay. If they just did what the fans want, there wouldn't have been a White Album or a Magical Mystery Tour. There would have been, I want to hold your hand. There would have been a doo Until band. no one wanted to hold their hand anymore. We're like, we're over <laughs> right. it. We're into, you know, we're into the doors now. Um so you kind of have to fuck with your own formula to stay alive. Yeah, but I think, to a certain extent, I think the motivation behind it has to be authentic. Like I don't think, I don't think it yes. works if you say, "I better do something different" because that's what people want. Then you're not doing it for your, then no, you're not doing it for yourself or for the art. You're doing it for true. for commerce. It's something you you sort of just instinctively do, and I think it kind of goes back to the things we're talking about too with movies or things. If the gen, if 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 something's just solely done as a by committee commercial thing it's forgettable but sometimes you'll watch something or see something and go there was really something behind this yeah and you can feel it and that's what i say sometimes when people go like oh well ed wood he's the worst filmmaker of all time i go then why are we still talking about plan nine from out of space and stuff because he wasn't he had no money and he made a movie in six days but there was some genuineness Right. He was putting into all that that you'll still watch it over Last Action Hero right. or something where you're, that's just the blockbuster. And, and also, five you can't later. you Not can't to pick on a movie, but I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> you can't you can't judge Plan Nine from Outer Space with the same lens that you would look at Gone with the Wind. Like right. You can't go. I mean, if you look at Gone with the Wind and that's your comparison, you go, okay, yeah, it's a bad movie because it's not yeah. this sprawling fucking epic. You know, it's you. you I think there's a certain amount of context that you need to understand, and I think there, people don't really understand the nuance of situations. It's like, well, you have That's everything. a good point, and I think that we used to instinctively know the context because if you read about a punk rock record, say, you were reading about it in a crappy Xerox fanzine and some kid sold you for a quarter, or if you were reading about the new whatever... Millie Vanilli? Neil Young record oh. you were reading about in Rolling Stone, or if you're well, yeah, Millie Vanilli... You're reading about some teen magazine. Now, everything looks exactly the same on iTunes. Right. The Circle Jerks record is sitting right next to the new Jay-Z record. Right. And you're like, why does this one sound bad? And this one sounds <laughs> slick. Or the, you know, like, and just like, I always think, like, once your movie goes to Netflix, it just seems like a level playing field. Right. You forget, the, like, oh, this movie had no marketing, and they spent $100 million marketing this movie. But the little picture looks the same right. when I pull up Netflix. So, yeah, there's no, yeah. there's no context for anything. I think that's why we've just figured it out, Chris. That's why people really don't have any context, and they can't when they're discussing it. Because, 
you know, when I would go see a movie like Plan 9 from Outer Space or something, it would be in some shitty little place that maybe wasn't even a real theater. There was couches because one guy got a hold of the print and they're showing it one night. It wasn't the same as when you went to see. You know Star what you're talking Wars about right now? Man's Chinese. You're talking about the experience. Yes, the experience. The experience is. The experience formed the context by which you saw it. It really is. Experience really is the most important thing. And so I think you know, for people out there who are creative, or if you feel like you're stuck in a creative rut, really think about the experience that you're creating, and not not even the experience. Not even to say like, you know, what will people like. But I think it's better to say, like, what's fun or what's interesting or what's engaging or how can this be more in-depth than just, you know, because I think people make something and then they tweet about it on social media and they go, oh, I don't know, no one came to see it. It's like, well, you're just (laughs) trying to sell them something. Like, you're not giving them an experience, you know, you're not giving them a, you're not fostering a community or, you know, like, give them a haunted house to walk through or let them feel like they're a part of a world. Like, those are bigger than just... You know, buy my thing. You yeah, know? and I think people ought to jump to the end game too. Like, like, well, when do I get famous? Yes. When do I get rich here? Whereas, like, when we st- or many people started, like, I'm sure Weird Al didn't think, "Wow, I'm going to get so fucking rich playing this accordion, <laughs> doing these songs. It's going to be scary." I don't think anyone's ever said those that sentence. Yeah, right. But that's like everything. It's like you did it because you had to do it for some bizarre reason. It made no sense. Your life was probably shitty because, you you know, the guy working at 7-Eleven was still making more money than you touring in your band that nobody liked. Yeah. Talking about myself. And, um, <laughs> but you just did it anyway. That was the whole reason. But I think the, American, you know, the Voice and American Idol have made people think, you know, they're always like, when they get kicked off the show, you'll see, I'm special. I'm going to, and you're like, no, you're not. You're on, the fact that you're on the show already told me you're not special because if you're special, you would know not to go on these shows. <laughs> well, I you wouldn't even know these shows existed. You'd be horrified by them. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I really, I think that's, you know, the Ed Wood or just some weird painting or some song that's has a quality that people can't, don't really understand just yet, but maybe they will. But there's something, you know, there's just a piece of humanity that's captured in that. It's just mm-hmm. a piece of authentic humanity that's like flash frozen into that thing. And that's the pulp of what is why, why they keep popping up or why they resonate with people, you know, even over time. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, that, that's, what, that's what people should strive for when they're making stuff is to just that really individual, that specific part of their experience and then throw it onto whatever their canvas is and just sort of totally fuck what anyone thinks at the time and don't and also you know i think there's a bad i think there's a bad knee jerk reaction if people respond negatively to something immediately on social media or they don't respond to it at all people go well that was a failure i yeah. guess i should never do that again it's like no no maybe you know People react quickly a lot of times without even really paying attention to what they're reacting about. So don't give that too much weight. Like, really allow yourself the ability to explore stuff. And at a certain point, if it feels like, yeah, I don't really have the passion for this anymore or, you know, whatever. It feels like maybe there's no connection point here. Then maybe explore something else. But don't, you know, we're, we're so – people have become kind of like networks are where it's like, we gave the show one episode. No one watched it, so we canceled it. Well, you spent like $20 million. I know. We're about to spend $20 million more on another I know, one episode and if you thing. Watch, yeah, and if you watch any show, like the first season of Seinfeld's not good. No. It's, it's not like it's awful, but it got really good. The first season of anything, is, it, take, it took a, you know, 
But yeah, yeah, like, oh, we <laughs> we committed to four episodes. Let's dump it. Yeah, yeah. No one got super involved. Yeah, it takes a little, you know, it takes a little bit of time to marinate. It takes a little bit of time to click with, you know, the world. And uh, and I'm always, you know, a lot of times I'm a little suspect of something that immediately just blows up out of nowhere. It's like, well, that's going to... You know what is it? Uh, what is it? Terrell says in Blade Runner: the the fire that burns twice as bright burns yeah. half as long. Like, exactly, or thereabouts. Exactly. Yeah, and it's true. And sometimes I, I think sometimes you see it like, um, you'll just see it like we well, see it in Hollywood for real because you see the billboards. But sometimes you can tell here's a show they've predetermined is going to be a hit because they've spending a fortune and then it just disappears. Like when they try to remake Charlie's Angels, it's like, how much money are they spending <laughs> convincing us this is going to be huge? And then it's like, you know, a month later, gone. Yeah. And then some weird show that no one gave two shits about is the thing like, we never saw that coming. Well, I you think know, because when people like, talk about when people talk about old pop culture things, like, oh, it's the best. I loved it. I don't know if they're really specifically thinking about it. I don't think they're really, really thinking about it. And then when someone makes a new thing of that and they go, why didn't anyone see this? Like, oh, I don't know if anyone really actually <laughs> cared that. I don't know if that like <laughs> some people do, but not you know, $200 million movies worth of people really yeah. cared about that thing. So I think it's, I, I'm, I think it's great that you have no desire to try to tackle like some big giant thing and that you just want to make weird stuff like I mean, 31. I mean, if it was that something that seemed like, yes, that's the big giant thing that that's me. I could do that. I love that. that but, but I know that it's, if it isn't, it isn't. I can't. Transformers meets the Smurfs. Yeah, like I can't. A Rob myself, Zombie film. You know, I just, I know who I am and I know that it'll be like, I would lose interest. Because that's the thing too with these things, as you know, it's like if you don't want to, if you have to love it so much because it's going to drag on for years and years and make you fucking crazy, <laughs> that if you're not a thousand percent committed, you're going to want to kill yourself. Well, uh, 31 is out October 27th. Right? No. Well, it's all over the place. It opens. It's on VOD. It's on VOD. As of today, it is now available to purchase on iTunes and whatever. It was only available for rent. It also opens in theaters today. And it's like a weird release. This is the first time I ever did it this way where like it was available VOD first. And then to rent. Then it goes theatrical. Then it goes to purchase. Do you like that? Do you sort of feel like, yeah, give everyone as many options as possible to see it? Or well, you- at first it seemed like psychotic to me when they were telling me the strategy. They're like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. But then they, but but it's worked out great, and because the market for these type of movies has really evaporated, and even though the horror market's bigger than ever, there's a certain model they fit into, and I know that what I didn't want to do was make the mistake where, because I made this mistake with the Lords of Salem. Where I was like, no, we got to go theatrical. We got to get on as many screens as possible. We got to do this and that. But then you spend so much money on prints and advertising that you're like, well, your really profitable movie now just became unprofitable, right? Because you just threw so you know you spent more marketing than you spent making the movie. And you know, even with a movie like Halloween, which you know came in at number one, did like whatever thirty three million opening weekend and gross, they're like, yeah, still not profitable yet. Yeah, still you know, you'll never see a check from that one because <laughs> of that nonsense. But like with you know. We did a one-night special event with Fathom, and they were almost like, yep, we're almost recouped. The movie oh. played for one showing on one night. Oh, my God. Because it's just this, such a different – it's so different now. I mean, even like two years ago, going straight to VOD seemed like the loser endgame, but it's just different now. You know, it's like 
There's in because even when I came from Sundance, there were all these movies that people were so hyped about that were really great movies. But yeah, I noticed. Okay, yeah, it came out on two screens, and people forgot it happened, even though it's a great movie because you know the superhero stuff and everything dominates all the, the screens, so you can't really. get But it's in, such a it's know. such an ex- yeah. But like you said, it's such an expensive endeavor to you know to put everything in 2000 screens and then and then in each one of those screens have marketing in each one of those cities. Oh yeah, it's like a suicide mission for some movies. But to me I don't I used to care but I don't care anymore because my goal is make the movie and figure out how to get the next one made. Mm-hmm. And then figure out how to get the next one made, not, you know, sweat box office numbers and all. I just I used to do that and I never made me happy. It just made me miserable. Because it, cause it's, it's, a, it's a game of enough is never enough. Because I remember when Halloween came out, it was number one, and it broke the box office record for Labor Day and still has it, you know, nine years later, still the highest grosser for that weekend. And when it came out, uh, Dimension Films was not satisfied. So even though it had exceeded everything they predicted, it was, still wasn't good enough. Oh, so there was wow. no air of like, yay! It was just like, oh, even yeah, even number one movie, you're still gonna you find made a way to million dollars shit a weekend, on the you party, son of a bitch. Yeah, and it just made it feel like you can never be, you know, because I know people that are as you do, and it's like it doesn't matter if they're the number two box office star in the world, they're not number one, right? And that makes them crazy, right? And I just, ugh, I can't, I, I couldn't, I can't. I can't find, play that game. I find <laughs> different metrics to live your life. Yeah. <laughs> find the. I think the correct metric is: uh, Does this thing make you happy? Right. If that's what you want it to be, you want it to be an action star. Then that's your thing. But you know. But when you but when you take a step back, well, I think a lot of the things that you think were in the neighborhood of what would make you happy, you're like, oh yeah, it doesn't matter if it's the number one this or the grossing this. Yeah. That. I got to make a thing and no one told me how to do it and I got to make it with people that I liked and it was exactly the thing that I wanted and you know an n, n number of people x number of people yeah. will connect with it that is that how what more could you get out of life than that Well I guess you could get more but that's what I wanted to get I mean I remember I said this on Howard Stern last time I was on Howard Stern and he was like but isn't that just a big cop out what you're saying And I go I guess you could Look at it that way, but to me it was like, no, I'm finally being honest with myself about what I'm trying to accomplish as opposed to, you know, like well, also, trying to write a number one dance song because you got to have a number one dance. I, I don't – why would I want to compete in a field that I don't give two fucks about? Yeah, and I think that's I also – I think that's also a very limited – point of view of like well the only success that matters is this one version of success and i really as the older i get i really do believe success is uh if you can say you know if you can answer the questions uh am i happy doing what i'm doing yes do i have to do anything i don't want to do to survive no that is it that is the most success you can ever ask for and it doesn't matter the end game yeah it doesn't matter what the number is it doesn't matter if it's like i made 10 million 100 million a billion dollar like that's all just fluid like it doesn't matter that but but to really get to the meat of it is is answering those two questions am i happy doing what i'm doing do i not have to do anything that i don't want to do to survive and then that then that's it like cuz then you then it's quality of life as opposed to things that you think are going to make you happy yeah and maybe some people know that right out of the gate but sometimes it takes a minute to figure that out well it took but it's me almost about sometimes when you're around like years. a beautiful woman who can't stop criticizing herself and you're like what more do you want <laughs> 
like, how beautiful do you have to be? Like, well, there is you know, no. It's I mean, like, it's, what are you talking about? You just, yeah. it's like, just becomes like everyone's craziness. broken. Everyone's broken. <laughs> just, just enjoy your brokenness. Just enjoy your brokenness. <laughs> Distract yourself with uh, your home renovation shows. Try a thing that you didn't think you would like, and try to see if you can connect with it in some way. It's a good exercise. Maybe you'll grow and learn something new. And eventually you'll die and everyone will be forgotten anyway. So it doesn't Yeah, matter. so it doesn't. <laughs> so enjoy the experience or enjoy your burrito, as we say at the end of the podcast. I'm so glad you uh, are back in town now. And are you I know. T- are you in town for a while or are you heading back No, east? I'm only here for a little bit, but then I'm g- coming back to escape the East Coast winter for four or five months. Yes, good, please. Because I, it's, you know, as long as we've been friends, which is... It's like twenty some years now. How long uh, is this? Ninety five, I think. Twenty one, yeah, twenty one years. Holy crap! Uh, it's we both get so busy, and it's like I'll see you like once a year. And I feel well, that like was that's weird too. Like, it seemed like we would hit Izakaya once a year, but it didn't seem like an entire year's gone by. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I because that, but I mean, I guess maybe it's good and weird, but because of Instagram things, I'm like. Well, I know everything you're up to, and it makes me feel like somehow I was involved. Like, wait, I wasn't on their honeymoon. Why do I know so much about it? Um, Maybe that's a so good thing. So when we do get media. together once a year, like, well, I got nothing to talk about. I know everything you've been so doing. Everything you went to that. You saw that thing, huh? Yeah, okay. Oh, good. Oh, you went to that thing. So yeah, right. remember when you guys were? You know, oh, yeah, you know, so you stood in front of that thing at that place. I was there too. I stood in front of that thing at that place too. Great. Let's talk about it. We stood in front of the thing at that place. But great. Well, I and actually, and I hope, and I'm seeing you tonight for dinner too. Which right, is which not, is weird. Why should I even leave? Yeah, you might as well just stay here all day. You want to turn on the TV? <laughs> Love it or list it's on. I know. We can, or maybe we can watch uh, Fixer Upper. <laughs> Fixer Upper. Yep. Oh, my God. All right, here we go. We're going to almost feel like I want to turn it on now. Cucumbers. Oh, what are they going to get? The cucumbers? It's going to take me, I think, right. time to really figure out House Hunters International. This is House Hunters International. These people have left their lives behind to start a new life in another land. Ah, everything's gonna be all right. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here... You're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer land. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now ad-free on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.